Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Let's pray together. Father, you're so good to us. As we just pause this day and reflect on your goodness, on who you are, on what you've done, on the way you have displayed your love to us through your son Jesus. Father, we can't help but cry that all of our will be faithful. You've set the example of faithfulness. So God, we, we confess and we repent when we are unfaithful to you. When we turn our back on you and we try to be the king of our own lives, the lord of our own lives, and try to knock you off the throne. But Father, we recognize today your goodness. And so we humbly submit to you yet once again be the leader, the forgiver of our lives. We give you that place of honor. And now, God, as we turn to the words of Scripture, as we reflect and consider what you have to say to us today, we ask that you would move in us, move in our hearts, our minds, move your message down into our hands, into our feet. But God, most important today and as every day, teach us how to love better. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the one who is so, so good. You can be seated. It is great to see you this morning as we uh, kick off our fall season together. Glad that you are with us in the room. Glad you're tuned in online, making this uh, worship service a part of your weekend. I uh, want to mention to you as we get into a kind of fall season uh, this week, a couple of special things going on. First, uh, tonight at 6.30, our faith students are going to kick back in with their uh, weekly gathering. Uh, that happens at 6.30 on uh, Sunday evenings, 6.30 to 8. That's for our middle school and high school students. And so if you've got a middle school or high school student in your life, we would love for them to be here tonight at 6.30, 6.30 to 8 uh, for their youth group time, faith students time, and hope they'll be here. Also need you to know that in two weeks from tonight, uh, we're having a big event that's part of our 25th anniversary celebration we call a low country boil. Uh, we did this a couple years ago to great success. Um, we kind of pretend like we're living in the bayou for a minute. We're going to boil up some potatoes and corn and sausage and shrimp and uh, just sit around and eat and eat and then eat some more. And that's coming up two weeks from tonight. Uh, we do need you to RSVP for that event. You can do that on our website right on the front page of our website. There's a little black banner. Click that. Let us know how many from your family are coming. You think my kids are never going to eat shrimp. That's fine. We got hot dogs too. It's all right. We we got you covered. So we hope that you'll be here. Bring your family, bring your friends just for a fun night. We'll talk a little bit about some of our stories from our 25th anniversary, uh, but mostly this event is just a chance for us to be together and celebrate together as a church. And we hope that you'll make plans to be here. Uh, again, that's two weeks from tonight as we, as we celebrate uh, the next part of our celebration of our 25th anniversary. As, as a part of that, uh, because this year marks our 25th anniversary, we're up uh, this fall to a big event that's going to happen on November 13th. 
uh, Sunday night or Sunday morning, November 13th, that's going to be kind of the cumulative uh, moment of this celebration that we began back in March or, or back in April as we're celebrating these 25 years together. Because we look to the past and we look at what we're doing now and where we are as we church is different. We've come through a pandemic as a world together. Things are different. And where we're going as a church, we'll be doing all that. Uh, but that big event's coming up on Sunday, November the 13th. Uh, that'll happen during our service on that day. But to get us there, between now and then, we're as a part of that celebration, during our teaching time on Sunday mornings, we're going to be talking about the church. Specifically, we're going to be talking about the first church that we find reference for us in the New Testament. Uh, the book of Acts in, the, in your New Testament uh, is a history of the church. It gives us the story of how the church began. And so for the next 10 weeks, between now and this November 13th event, we're going to be jumping, uh, in our teaching time, jumping in and out of the book of Acts, as well as looking at some of the teachings of Jesus to try to get an idea of what the church is, what the church was, what the church should be, and maybe, maybe more importantly, what the church could be. And all along the way, we're going to find some opportunities to talk about the history of this church as well and tell some of our stories and some of our shared experiences and what we are still becoming as a local church. So let me begin this whole kind of teaching time with a little word association game. If I were to say to you, I'm going to say, give you two words, and I just want you to think of the image that pops into your head immediately when I say these words. The words are rugged and raw. What kind of image comes to your mind when the words, when you hear the words rugged and raw? I suspect, like me, you're going to think of the cowboy type. Some of you are old enough to remember when they still advertised for cigarettes. You remember the Marlboro Man, right? That's kind of when I think rugged and raw. Muddy boots, sawdust, confidence, bravado, hubris. That's what we're thinking about. Favorite characters from film and literature come to mind when we think of rugged and raw. Cool hand Luke or John McClain, or Hermione Granger, or Butch Cassidy, or Rambo, or Katniss Everdeen. When I say words like rugged and raw, I would venture a guess that the image that comes to your mind is not the word church. Church. That's a little softer image, isn't it? That's peaceful, not rugged. That's a little bit softer. But yet those two words, rugged and raw, are my favorite description that I've ever read to describe the first church recorded for us in the book of Acts in the New Testament. It was rugged, and it was raw, and oftentimes it was very, very messy, and it was not well organized, and it was like they were making it up as they went, because they were making it up as they went. It was almost barbaric at times, a lack of refinement or organization or civil What's interesting to me is I've had the opportunity to sit around and listen to the stories of what this church was like when it began 25 years ago. I wasn't here. Most of you weren't here 25 years ago when this church began, but some of you remember. The stories I hear, those two words, rugged and raw and making it up as we go, those two words describe the first days of this church. It was messy at times. It was a struggle. You took a chance. And so I'm calling this teaching series this fall Rugged and Raw because I believe it's a beautiful description of the early church, the first days of the church, the global church, as recorded for us in the New Testament. 
And I think it's a beautiful description of the early days of this church, Faith Christian Church in New Philadelphia, Ohio. And maybe it's a great indicator of where we as a church in a post-pandemic, nearing post-Christian world need to be headed. So we're going to dig into some history over the, last, over the next 10 weeks, some, some, some Bible history, some world history, some church history, and even some of the history of this church. And I think that we're going to find that God has an important message and mission for us as a part of his church. So to get there, we've got to go all the way back to the very, very beginning, years before the book of Acts even takes place. Years before the church was established, we need to know what happened. And in the book of Matthew, the, the writer Matthew records, from us, records for us an event. He was an eyewitness to this moment. He records for us an event in the life of Jesus that I want us to look at today. Jesus and his 12 disciples, his closest followers, were traveling together. That's what they did. They kind of went around the world together. And they were traveling, and they were about 150 miles north of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, kind of the, the, the center of the Middle East, the Holy Land, if you call it. They're about 150 miles north of Jerusalem, and they're outside a very important city. The city was called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi. Back then, this was a magnificent and important city. Now, Go back a few years from this moment where we're going to pick it up with Jesus and the disciples outside Caesarea Philippi. About, when Jesus was about 14 years old, this city, Philippi, had been renamed Caesarea Philippi because that's the year that Caesar Augustus died. Remember Caesar Augustus? You'll remember him from Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the worlds would be taxed, and Joseph took Mary, his betrothed, who was pregnant, child to Bethlehem to be taxed, to, to, to be counted, the census. That's Caesar Augustus. When Jesus was about 14, Caesar Augustus died, and they renamed this city in his honor, in his memory. So, Jesus and the disciples, 150 miles north of Jerusalem, they're walking towards, about to enter this city of Caesarea Philippi. Maybe, I'm speculating here, maybe they were talking about how the name of the city had been changed for, for, for Caesar Augustus during their lifetime. The first real Roman emperor, Caesar, Caesar Augustus. He was an important historical person. And perhaps, maybe, perhaps they were talking about the fact that Caesar Augustus was actually the adopted son of Julius. Him from history, don't you? And the Romans, the Romans had deified Julius Caesar. In other words, they considered Julius Caesar to be a god which meant that Caesar Augustus, the adopted son of Julius Caesar, was referred to as the son of a god. Hold on to that for a minute. So as they're walking into the city of Caesarea Philippi, and in that context, Jesus turns to his disciples and asks them a very important and famous question. You've heard this question before. Jesus says, okay, guys, Caesar Augustus was an adopted son of a deified Julius Caesar. Everyone thinks that Caesar Augustus was the son of a god. I think I am. Who do you say that I am? So they have this little conversation about who they think Jesus is. And towards the end of the conversation, Peter blurts out, I'll tell you who I think you are, Jesus. I think you're the Messiah. And in Matthew 16, 16, he says this, you are the Christ you are the son of the living God. 
Do you see the parallels here? Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of a dead God. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus stops the conversation right there and turns to Peter and says, yes, you got it. That's right. And then Jesus says something that is astounding. Jesus makes a prediction that I cannot overemphasize how important this is. Jesus says this in verse 18. On this rock, I will build my church. Jesus made a very bold claim. He says, I am going to build my church. Now, as you may know, the language that Jesus spoke when he was walking around with his disciples was not English. Jesus spoke the common language of the day was the language of Aramaic. What Jesus spoke. Now, the New Testament, when it was written, was written in the language Greek. So our New Testament is Greek, but Jesus spoke Aramaic. So already we have a translation uh, thing we need to worry about. So when Matthew sat down to write down and tell us about this conversation that Jesus, that Matthew was a part of, that Jesus was a part of, the rest of the disciples were a part of, Matthew did not write down Aramaic. He wrote it down in Greek because he was writing his, his biography of Jesus in the language of Greek. And as he thought about the Aramaic word that Jesus used to say, I'm going to build my church, Matthew chose the little Greek word, ekklesia. Everybody say ekklesia. Ekklesia. Greek word, ekklesia. You may have heard that word before. It's a very common word. We've used it in this room many times before. It's not a religious term. It simply means a gathering, an assembly, or a congregation, or a movement, the, the result of a gathering, assembly, or congregation. So Jesus makes this declaration here. I am going to build my, my people, my movement. Ecclesia. Well, then there was this tragedy of translation. A major error in translation. As time went by and the, the centuries began to, to get us away from the time Jesus was on the planet, as the writings of the New Testament were translated into different languages from Greek, fortunately, the little word ecclesia wasn't translated. Instead, there was a German word. I think German word that was kind of superimposed into our text. The word is Kirche. Maybe. I don't know. I don't speak German. I think that's Google. That's how Google told me. Kirche. All right. Kirche. And that's the word where we get our English word church. You can kind of hear it, right? Kirche, church. You can, it's, it's, it's similar. So the word church in English is not a translation of the Greek word ekklesia. Church was superimposed over that word. In fact, the word kirche doesn't mean gathering. It doesn't mean assembly. It doesn't mean movement. It actually means house of the Lord. Kirche. That's what kirche means. House of the Lord. And unfortunately, in this tragedy of translation, instead of the idea of gathering, assembly, or a people of Jesus, or a Jesus gathering, instead we got this little word church that actually talks about means a place. A, a place, the house of the Lord. Here's what I need you to understand today and for everything else we're going to talk about for the next 10 weeks. 
Jesus did not predict a place. Jesus predicted a people. Jesus did not die for a place. Jesus died for people. You need to know this too. In the 16th century, a man named William Tyndale decided to translate the New Testament from Greek into English. You can be thankful for William Tyndale. There's a reason you can read the Bible. First time, first time that the entire New Testament was translated into English. And when William Tyndale got to the word ecclesia, he was stunned. He realized that ecclesia doesn't mean house of the Lord. The idea of ecclesia doesn't reflect the German word that we get church. So in William Tyndale's translation of the New Testament, he translated the word ecclesia into the English word congregation. He said, Jesus said, on this rock, I'm going to build a congregation of people. Jesus didn't predict a place. He predicted a people. Now, eventually, if you want a little bit of church history, this is just for free. Eventually, those who were in charge of the church at this time, at this moment in history in the 16th century, they arrested William Tyndale as a heretic, and because of his translation of the New Testament, they strangled him and burned him at the stake. <laughs> but he was right. <laughs> he, he was right. Back to Matthew. Back, back, to the, back to the New Testament. Not too long after Jesus made this incredible prediction, I'm going to build my people. Jesus is arrested and Jesus is crucified. And after the crucifixion, after the crucifixion, if we had gone to Peter, the, the, the disciple Peter, who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. If we'd gone to Peter, and we'd gone to the rest of the apostles, and we'd asked them, all right, now, Jesus is dead. You just watch him hang on a cross. Now, who do you think Jesus is? Who is he now? Do you still think that Jesus is the Messiah? Do you still think he's the Christ? Do you still think he's the son of the living God? Peter would have said, no. We, we, we were wrong. He's dead. Do you still think there's going to be a gathering, a Jesus assembly, a congregation, an ecclesia of Jesus? Peter and the guys would have said, no. He's dead. He's gone. But yet something changed. Because these very same Jesus die. These same guys who ran for their lives and hid, these were the very same men who, along with a group of women who had been Jesus' followers as well, suddenly saw Jesus alive after the crucifixion. And they say, we're back because we've seen a risen Savior. And after Jesus rose from the dead, he gathered his handful of followers together again. And then Jesus said these very, very famous words that are tied into this prediction about one day there's going to be this gathering, this ecclesia. In Matthew 28, last words of Jesus that Matthew records for us. Matthew 28, beginning of verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, so in light of all, all the authority of, of the entire universe, in light of the fact that I can ask you to do anything, I can ask you to do anything because I have all authority. Here's how I want you to use that authority. Therefore, because of all the authority, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Do what? Jesus said, yeah, I have the authority to send you on this mission, and that's what I'm asking you to do. 
I want you to go into all the world and make Jesus followers of all the people from all the nations in the world. And then he says this in verse 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you always. And then he left. <laughs> what? And then he left. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Bye bye, I'm out. He's gone. I'm with you always. Where'd he go? He left. I'm with you always as you go into the world, as you make disciples of all nations, and then Jesus left. And so this group of followers, they went back into the city of Jerusalem, and a few days later, and you can read about this in the early part of Acts, we'll look at this a little bit next week, this group of people who had watched Jesus die, this group of people who had seen Jesus alive after they had watched him die, these group of people who had, who had seen Jesus alive and heard him say, go into all the nations and make disciples, this group of people went into the streets of Jerusalem where everyone else had seen Jesus die. They went into the streets of Jerusalem and their message was simple. You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. Say you're sorry. That, that, was, that was their sermon. You killed him, but God raised him and we've seen him. And suddenly, Suddenly in this moment in history, the Jesus gathering was born. Suddenly the movement started moving. Suddenly hundreds and then thousands of people began to say, Jesus has been raised from the dead. God has done something significant in our midst, and we saw it happen. And the church, the ecclesia, began to grow and to grow and to grow, and the church was born, and this is important. The church was born not around truth claims. Every religion gets truth claims. This gathering began around an event. The resurrection of Jesus. And for about two years, things went really, really well. We'll talk about some of these two years over the next couple weeks. Things went really, really well. The church grew in numbers. And the geography of the church from Jerusalem was beginning to spread. And then something horrible happened. The movement stopped moving. The gathering stopped growing. Suddenly the Jesus movement became bogged down. And so Jesus recruits a new leader, a Pharisee, a religious leader, who was actually trying to put a stop to the church and this claim about a man coming back from the dead. And in Acts 9, you can read about conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who would become the guy we know as the Apostle Paul. And eventually Paul is going to become a leader in the church. In fact, at one point, he goes to Jerusalem and he gathered all the Jesus followers, especially the leaders. And Paul says, look, this movement has got to move. It stopped. This movement has got to go. This gathering has got to grow. Paul says, we need a new strategy. And so he put a big map up on the wall. He said, let's divide up the world. And he drew a big circle around the city of Jerusalem. He looked at every, all and said, you guys get Jerusalem, I'll take the rest of it. And he did. He did. He got on a ship, and he went all around the, all these major cities, all around the, the, the known world, the Roman Empire, anywhere there were synagogues, anywhere there were Jews and Gentiles, anywhere there were converts. And Paul began then, and spent the next 30 years of his life, 30 years, 30 years the apostle paul traveled and was arrested and was beaten and was stoned but he kept starting churches and starting churches he'd get thrown out of cities he'd start another church 
He'd get thrown out of this place. There was a church in his wake. And for 30 years, Paul traveled around establishing all these little ecclesias, these gatherings of Jesus' people all around the major port cities of the Roman world. And then in his early 60s, Paul was arrested one more time. And he was taken to Rome. Nero was now the emperor of Rome. We'll get to talk about him in a little bit too in, in a, couple, a couple weeks. And no doubt Paul knew this was the end. Let's slow down. Let's kind of get this picture. In, in an ancient world that I can't relate to, we can't understand what it was like to live in the world. In a world that is so ancient that nothing that you and I think of as normal was normal. In a world dictated by the words of a deranged emperor by the name of Nero. In a world where Christ followers were fair game for any kind of torture, abuse. That's where Paul finds himself. In prison. And perhaps he wondered, was it worth it? Did, did it work? D did it work? Are they going to do to the rest of the church and the rest of the Christians what they did to Jesus and what they're about to do to me? Was it just a dream? Were we crazy to think that this Jesus gathering, these, these ecclesias, were we crazy to think that somehow it could survive the mighty Roman Empire? A world that's committed to worshiping Jupiter and Mars and in some places even Zeus still at this point in history. Were we crazy to think that somehow this thing that Jesus did in our midst in Jerusalem would somehow get outside of that one little small part of the world? Were we crazy to think that when Jesus said, go into all the world, that somehow that would work? Did it matter? Did it work? And so there sat Paul in prison, in Rome, mid-60s, days away from being executed, wondering. And then one morning, before the sun rose, he heard footsteps coming down that stone hallway. They opened up his cell. They unshackled him and marched him out of the city to his execution. Now, I want you to use your imagination for a minute. And I want you to imagine that you and I had the chance to walk right behind Paul as he's being marched to his execution. And if we could whisper in his ear, on his way to his death, if we could whisper to him, Paul, Paul, don't be discouraged. It worked. We know the rest of the story. We know what happened. It worked. Paul, look around this city of Rome as they're marching you to your, to your execution. Don't worry. We've been to the future. It worked. Look around this city, Paul. One day this city that is adorned with icons and altars to all of these pagan gods and the gods of the Romans and the gods of the Greeks. One day, Paul, this city will be adorned with icons representing Jesus, your Savior. Paul, Paul listen. On the tops of buildings... All over this city, there will be crosses. And they won't be crosses that point to Roman crucifixion. They will be crosses that remind people of one single crucifixion, the crucifixion of our Savior. Paul, Paul, Paul look over there. The Nero's Circus. 
That's where Nero persecuted Christians, where he allowed wild animals to literally tear Christians apart for his own entertainment, where, where Nero would crucify Christians, where eventually the Apostle, Paul, or Apostle Peter would be crucified upside down. It's the place where, he, where Nero would impale Christians on stakes, dip them in tar, and light them on fire to use them as living torches to light up his garden parties because he was the emperor and he could do anything he wanted to do. And we would say, Paul, Paul, look over there at Nero's circus. One day on that spot, there will be a magnificent building built to commemorate your friend St. Peter. It will perhaps be the most beautiful building on the planet. And Paul, Paul, someday thousands, Paul, thousands and thousands of people will come to this city of Rome from all over the world, and they won't ask, hey, where is Julius Caesar buried? And they won't ask, hey, can we visit Tiberius Palace? They won't ask, where is Caesar Augustus buried? They're going to come from all over the world, and they're going to ask their tour guides, will you show us where the apostle Paul was in prison? Paul, listen. Paul, it's so hard to imagine, but one day there will be no Roman Empire. But there will be churches on just about every major city, on every continent, and in every country on the planet. Paul, all those letters that you wrote, all those letters you hoped that had made it to Ephesus, and you hoped that they made it to Corinth, and you hoped they made it to Thessalonica, and you hoped that your teachings would be heard. Paul, one day those letters, your letters, Paul, would be translated into over 1,200 different languages and distributed all over the world. Paul, you need to know that, that one day there's going to come a time, one time a year, once a year when families in countries all over the globe are going to gather together and they are going to mention the name Caesar Augustus. But it won't be because they're retelling Caesar Augustus's story. The first Roman emperor is now a footnote in the story of the birth of Jesus. Paul, before you go, you need to know that one day parents will name their children Peter and Paul and they'll name their dogs Nero and Caesar. Could he have imagined this? Could he have imagined any of the things we just walked him through? Could he have imagined a 60-year-old, 60-something-year-old man being taken outside of the city of Rome to be executed, the very city that was responsible for crucifying Jesus? Could he have imagined that one day that city would be the capital for many people, the capital of Christianity? Could he have imagined that the Roman Forum would be ruins, a tourist attraction, and that the Colosseum would have a cross on it because it was dedicated to the martyrs, the men and women who died during that period of persecution? Could Paul have imagined of any of this? No, he couldn't have. But it happened. It happened. It happened just as Jesus predicted that it would happen. Because there, outside of Caesarea Philippi, with 12 men, Jesus said, I will build my gathering. And the gates of hell, Hades, or death, not overcome it. My death, your death, the deaths of the martyrs, nothing is going to stop the advancement of the church. Jesus said, because of my spirit will fill the church. My presence will inhabit the church. The church will be the epicenter of the activity of God on the planet. The church will become the living, breathing body of Jesus in the world until the end of this age. And as you go and make disciples of all people and all nations, I am with you until I return. Here's why this matters to you and me. 
first. As you, as, a, as an adult, as you consider and you ponder and you wonder issues of faith and spirituality and religion and where does that fit into the world and where does it fit into my world, as you ponder that, listen to me, you can consider a lot of truth claims, a lot of belief systems. But at some point, you are going to have to wrestle with two things that happen. A group of people came to Jerusalem and said, we saw a risen Savior. And then for the generations that would follow, including and up to today, the church would grow and grow and expand and expand, and exactly what Jesus predicted would happen would, in fact, happen. Here's the second thing, and I think this is best of all. You. As an individual, every single one of us in this room watching this broadcast, every single one of us has been invited to participate in the activity of God in the world by being a part of, by associating yourself with a local church. Because this is what God is up to in the world through the compassion of the church, through the message of the church, through the generosity of the church, through the interaction of the church with its community, through the influence of the church, through the mission of the church. And no, 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 the church certainly has not always gotten it right. And the history of the church is filled with all kinds of stories that are embarrassing. We'd rather not talk about. We're living some of those right now. But that's the point. In spite of us, in spite of our failures, in spite of our inconsistencies, the church continues to be an influence to the world. And it grows and it grows. And it's not because we're smart. It's because Jesus said, I will build my gathering and nothing's going to stop it. And you, you have been invited to participate in the activity of God on the planet. Let me pray for you. If our communion team will go ahead and take their places, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this prediction of Jesus. And we thank you that we get to be a part of it. That we get the opportunity and the responsibility to be the living, breathing body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus in Tuscarawas County, in the United States, and all around this world. Thank you for that great responsibility. Thank you for that great opportunity. Father, would you find us faithful? as we partner with you in what it is you want to do all around us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.